0: Welcome to the Diabolique webcast. I'm Alex West, the writer of the column The Devil Made Us Watch It for Diabolique magazine. Today we're talking with the godfather of gore, Herschel Gordon Lewis, and producer James Sato, who are about to begin production on a new horror anthology film, Blood Mania. Herschel Gordon Lewis has been making films since the early 1960s. Some of his best-known films are Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, The Gore Gore Girls, and The Wizard of Gore. He took some time off to focus on his advertising and marketing career, which he was very successful at, and you can tell because he knows how to talk about films and how to get them to an audience. He's in the last 10 or so years made a return to filmmaking with films like The Uh-Oh Show and Blood Feast 2, All You Can Eat. First, we talked to Herschel about the development of Blood Mania and where he sees the industry going. Then James joins us to talk about the Calgary film scene and some upcoming projects that he has planned.
1: Robert E. Lee broke his musket on his knee and a thousand pieces shattered on the ground. But he looked up then and he gathered up his men. And from his lips there came an awful sound. And from his lips there came an awful sound. Yeah! Oh, the sound's gonna rise again.
0: What is your development process, especially with something like this that's an anthology film, where I, n- I know you're writing one of the stories, um, mm. but also you're directing two of them, so how do you approach telling two different stories in under one umbrella of a film? Well,
2: The trick, really, is to think visually, and people submit scripts to me quite consistently. The scripts, in my opinion, are not producible mm. because they're written as a story not as something that people look at. It's a different medium altogether. And someone can wink an eye. And you can't write it that way. It must be implicit in the way the, the plot line progresses. Now, I grant you, in my kind of movie, a plot line is a luxury. When someone said to me after I made the very first one of these a long, long time ago, who wrote the script for Blood Feast? And my answer was, What's that? We <laughs> didn't understand the the humor behind it. We literally wrote that one as we went along because we weren't certain of locations. We certainly weren't certain about how the effects would turn out. No one had ever done this before. We're now certain we're now in a much more comfortable situation. Today, someone can walk into a magic store and pick up effects that I would have really been so happy to get when we first started this kind of business. And so we try to ride with what can be done along with what we can afford. There's another factor here. I just read in one of the magazines that Disney Company, which is certainly a giant in the entertainment world, is taking a $200 million, US by the way, right down, on their movie, The Long Lone Ranger, with Johnny Depp. How is that possible?
0: Mm.
2: How do you lose $200 million on a movie? I can assure you, Alex, on behalf of both Jim and myself, we're not going to lose $200 million on this movie. Now, the trick is to not lose $2 on this movie. Mm-hmm. The motion picture business is, after all, a business. And I pity people who come in there as auteurs and... Well, we had better shoot this again. I didn't like the way that leaf blew off the tree in our... Uh Uh-uh, that's not the way I look at movie making. People, first of all, in our kind of movie, they don't go to see great acting. In fact, great acting can be a curse. They go to see the effects. It's as simple as that. And people who ignore that simplicity are our lawful prey because that's what we're going to do with this one. We are going to have people coming out of the theater. We're going to have people turning back in their DVDs to Netflix or somebody. And they are not going to be saying, gee, what a ragged pan that was in that scene. No. They're going to say, did you see that? That's our core. That's what we do. That's what causes people to say, I better take a look at that too. Which is the absolute classic difference between a movie that's a success and a movie that's a failure. And it's another reason, by the way, why sometimes the critics and the public are out of sync with each other?
0: Well, I, I think that goes into um, part of the reason you have such a following. Is there's such a there's such an incredible purity to your films that they're all just happening and they're all just evolving, kind of in front of you. So there are moments of real humor and moments of gore and moments of terror and there's there's such a fun visceral thing about it it's not it's not like the Lone Ranger these films aren't done by committee they're done with mm-hmm. um heart and a sense of fun which is you know I think that's why you know there's still screenings of your films all over the world and and I imagine that makes you very excited
2: you're making my day with that <laughs> and one reason you are Alex is because a great number of people in a position of some authority in the movie world don't understand that at all They think, one, he makes cheap movies. Yes, absolutely. I revel in that. Number two, they say his plot lines are primitive. Yes, of course they're primitive. We're not trying to challenge someone. This isn't a college course. This is an attempt to entertain people. They say also, what if he had made another take? Wouldn't it have been a more polished scene right there? where someone dropped his spectacles or someone moved out. You could see a, a, a microphone at mm-hmm. the edge of the picture. On that level, we don't see a microphone on the edge of the picture anymore. Techn- technology has come to our rescue. So there's probably not some guy holding a big thing that will hang into the picture. Most things are invisible. And I like that. That, that depends on how Jim puts this together. But what we, what we attempt to do is entertain anybody who wants to see this movie now the one restriction that i prefer to put on that if it's possible is an age restriction because again in today's wide open society they don't need us to have children see blood and gore it's on the it's on the late news every night Mm -hmm. last night i was watching some newscast somebody had been murdered of course That's the way the society is today. Mm -hmm. But they had shown the body lying there and a pool of blood alongside it. And I said, this is the kind of thing that is just not, at least not entertaining. Over a period of years, on two occasions, I was offered the opportunity to direct what they call a snuff film. Now, you're nodding yes, so you know what I'm talking about. But (laughs) someone out there may not know. A snuff film is where you actually do kill someone on camera. I regard that really as too uh, too far back in organized society to, to even be worthy of a thought. I want people to say, come out of the theater. I want people to turn that TV off and say, hey, that really was something, wasn't it? Now, to, for that, you don't really need an actor who is going to win the Academy Award. You don't really need effects that take 45 people, 45 days for a single effect that lasts 45 seconds. We are at the mercy, not just of public taste. We are at the mercy of whatever budget poor Jim can scrapple together because the worst thing that can happen is not finishing a movie. And I've, on occasion, I've bought a movie. It was called Vortex in glorious black and white. And I bought it from a laboratory in New York that, that had seized it on a laboratory lean. And my heart went out to whoever had his heart and soul in that movie. Someone had tried desperately to get, now the movie was dreadful. In fact, it wasn't finished. I called it, stick it in your ear. And I put it in as a second half with a movie I had made called Moonshine Mountain, because at that time in the drive-in theaters, in order to control the, 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 the financial aspect, if you didn't have both pictures that were gonna play on the same night, it was possible that the theater would say to you, your picture wasn't the one that got the percentage, the other picture was. And they would say to the other fellow, your picture wasn't the one that got the percentage, the other picture. So they can't do that if you control both of them. And I didn't care what it was. It went through the machine. Now here we are all these years later. We're shooting really electronically. And I still run across people who say, you're not going to shoot in 35 millimeter color. (laughs) I made a lot of movies in 35 millimeter color. And I can tell you absolutely staring at the screen here. There's no comparison, whatever, in my opinion, which is obviously worthless except to me. <laughs> Within five years, 35 millimeter film will be obsolete. It already is obsolete, but people don't know it yet. Hmm. And the reason it is all the CGI, the, the computer-generated imagery, it's done on a computer and then transferred to 35 millimeter film, where it loses some of its fidelity.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're shooting. We're shooting with really the state of the art digital cameras, which is one faster. Number two, less expensive. Number three, better fidelity. And number four, most likely to make it possible for us to make a retake. Because I know very, very well, I'm shooting something on color film, 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. which means I have to buy the raw stock. I have to shoot the film. It comes in thousand foot rolls. I make a mistake in a take, and the take is two minutes in. What do I do? I'll yell, cut. Classic word. Uh, But what do I do with that movie, that film I've wasted? I can use it for soundtrack leader. But oftentimes you'll say, well, let's just start from that point and cut to a close-up. So once you're making compromises all the way down the line, that problem we're not going to have. The problem that may arise is one of my own personality. Because to me, the number one goal is to finish within budget and on time. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a goal that eludes many people. Somebody once said to me, I know two words you never hear on your set. And I said, what are those two words? Take two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not unhappy to hear that. Mm -hmm. We don't want to shoot rehearsals. And I I, I visited sets. "Let's, Let's try one, they say. It's not their own money they're playing with. In this instance, the worst thing that can happen is to run out of money and that's not going to happen. And I hate to put it on such a commercial level, Alex, but that really in our type of enterprise becomes quite significant. We see too much of it in which the entire industry is wounded because someone has started a project and then it seems to have vanished down the slopes somewhere
0: it's fascinating talking to you because obviously you've seen so much in the film industry and you're already talking already about your evolution through technology, but it just seems like you're one of the few businessmen, um, who's also a director and also a creator. And I think that just makes such a huge difference. And obviously that adds to your longevity on top of all the other things we've talked about, but it's very, it's very refreshing to hear someone talk about, you know, the bookends of how you make a movie. And I was just wondering from your from your standpoint, what's actually gotten harder now in the industry going what back into
2: Well, I'll tell you flat out what mm-hmm. has become harder. It is, it is a problem for those of us who do not have major company backing. Mm-hmm. How do we get the thing distributed? Yes. In, in ancient times, my name appeared on a movie, Bang. There were theaters saying, we'll play it, we'll play it, we'll play it. You can't do that anymore. One reason is many of the theaters that would opt for this kind of product are no longer in business, or they have switched to a policy in which some major company will be in there for six to eight weeks at a time, and they'll have multiple screens. So instead of one theater with 1,000 seats, there will be five theaters with 200 seats each, and they're all booked. I noticed somebody had just booked a major picture with, Uh, Tom Cruise or somebody Mm -hmm. and it's going to open in August of the year 2015. They have already announced when this movie will be in theaters. How do I come in with my piece of schlock and, (laughs) and compete with that? Answer, possible, because I do have a reputation and they know that my movies make money on a different level. In comes Mr. Metro Goldwyn Mayer or Mr. Universal or Mr. 20th Century Fox about to become 21st Century Fox, and they say, well, all right, we'll put our movie in your theater, and we want uh, 60% the first two weeks, and then we'll split after that. We've got to be guaranteed for four weeks. In comes Jim and my and me. And, and, and we say, hey, I'll tell you what, book us for a week at 35%. If you want to hold it over? We'll hold it over at 35%. But we have to control the campaign, because in my opinion, Alex, mm-hmm. <laughs> The major film companies have lost the knack, have they ever had it, of how to campaign a picture. And I see some of these Woody Allen pictures, and of course he's an egomaniac anyway, we all are, in which I say, who did that campaign? Mm -hmm. From the viewpoint of an advertising expertise point of view, it's it's disgusting. But you see, what we do best, of course, is criticize the other person's work. (laughs) That's where each of us is an expert. But what we have to count on in this instance is the DVDs carrying us through because we may or may not get theatrical release. In that respect, there's an edge we have. We're in Canada.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're not on on 42nd Street in New York. Well, that's the wrong place too because 42nd Street has degenerated <laughs> into a, a bunch of people pounding bass drums. <laughs> But again, the whole thing is totally competitive. In that respect, we can compete. We can compete because one thing I know before we shoot the first scene, people are going to say, Did you see that? And that overcomes any technical deficiencies that might come up.
0: And then I guess also for that question, then why, um, why shoot in Calgary? Because that's a kind of lesser-known shooting location for a lot of films. Obviously, people know Toronto, uh, Vancouver, anywhere else like that. But why why Calgary?
2: That's the easiest question of all time. <laughs> we shoot in Calgary because there were, that's where James Sato is, and he put this deal together. And if he said, we're going to shoot it in Timbuktu, not a good place right now, by the way, because <laughs> having great unrest in Timbuktu. Whatever he says there, I'll do. And this whole thing came into being because he had a vision, which a lot of people don't have. And his vision was not clouded by ego as so many are. His vision was, if we put this here and that there and hold this together, the binding will will enforce itself. And that's the reason we're shooting in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And from what I can make out so far, I am truly delighted. Calgary has a fairly good uh, smattering of of acting talent. Mm -hmm. Jim has found, somehow or other, technicians who are certainly of a caliber that matches what the major film companies might put together if they tried to invade Calgary. But he has the other edge. He's there. Mm -hmm. He's not coming in. Like some invader from outer space, and so I'm I'm saying that to throw the whole thing in his lap. Okay, well, Jim, if the picture is a terrible flop, it's your problem. <laughs> not mine. But it won't it won't be.
0: No,
3: well, we've 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 ran across that question about why Calgary, and uh, the simplest explanation is um, I get asked why not Los Angeles. And I think Herschel and I are both of a mind on that. How did you put it, Herschel? Uh, Hollywood is a fraternity that I have no interest in being a part of. No,
2: absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I think it would be to our detriment. First of all, you start to shoot in that Los Angeles area. The anticipated amount of money you have to pay anybody, talented or not, becomes a big factor. People are not enthusiastic about anything other than than their own screen credits mm-hmm. here we have people who according to Jim have said hey I want to be involved in that they haven't said how much are you going to pay me so this isn't the case of a bunch of strangers saying I'll get mine not at all
3: oh it's, that's for the, that, that that'll come it a family enterprise
2: as you will see when you're on the set
3: yeah. <laughs> As as you may have heard, Calgary's getting its own studio next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we shoot Hell on Wheels here. We shoot uh, Fargo here. Uh, Christopher Nolan chose Interstellar. You know, he chose Calgary to shoot Interstellar in. So, you know, uh, Toronto has a flourishing industry. Vancouver has a flourishing industry. And uh, I I just want, you know, I'm a Calgarian. I want to promote, uh, you know, the, the film industry in Calgary. And that's one thing that Diabolique, when we... When we talked, Diabolique Films, is that all of our films will be shot in Calgary. And as it sits right now, we're looking at uh, shooting one film a year here over the next five years. Only one? <laughs>
2: well, I'm uh, sure. I know, I know. No, I've been, trying to, I've been pitching a script at him now for the a, a better part of a year, mm-hmm. which I would very much like to shoot in Calgary. Because I sense, even now, that the enthusiasm factor is unbeatable. And when you combine enthusiasm with talent, that that's that is really a very it's a rarity in the movie industry. And you don't have that in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and you don't have it in New York City, and you don't have it in Rome. As we have an opportunity here. That, that yes, we do. Yeah,
3: and uh, and we're not about to blow it. You'd be surprised, Alex, how uh, you know some people just hear, oh, it, you know, it's a film by Herschel Gordon Lewis, and I mean. Yeah. Just like that.
2: Just
3: <laughs> like that. Is he still
2: around? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it's, it's you know, I, I live in Toronto, and, um, you know, through Toronto and Vancouver, it's still like, there's still kind of emerging markets, but there is a kind of exhaustion with it. Like, I, I had to go downtown today, and I passed two film shoots. And it's like, oh, that's neat, and I just kept walking. But I think to get that energy that that we've already talked about in these movies, you need that kind of excitement, and it should be all around, and there should be that kind of energy, which, which I think it does. just Even in, if it's just on the production end, it makes that difference and it, it creates such a great community um, to just support the film starting off. So I think it's incredibly important and that's really exciting to hear about all of the projects going on in Calgary.
2: I embrace your notion. The word you used is the one I would use. Energy. Mm-hmm. There's energy there. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a cowboy roundup. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, actually, I'm actually surprised myself. Uh, You know, like next door right now, we're doing some callbacks and final casting. And uh, the amount of talent that we have here, uh, it shocks me, actually. You know, for actors, uh, you know, the crew we've put together, I think one of the elements that we're really striving for is to find people who are the right fit. And that's very important because we want to create a family. Mm -hmm. And so when I say, okay, you know, Diabolique Films announces that we're going to be making such and such. My, my cell phone should start ringing. I'm in. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we're shooting for.
2: On that level, Jim, I, I certainly don't see why we yourself to one film a year. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's... what? That's, if you're well, talking about the behind-the-lens group, to hold that group together, you need more than one project a year.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, well... <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. Well, look, uh, this whole... There, thing there's is stuff like... You talk about the stuff that I can't talk about. I know. uh, As as you know, Herschel, uh, Alex and I are kind of sort of tied to the hip now, uh, whether we like it or not, for the rest of our lives pretty much. Um, So you can count on uh, seeing more anthologies. You know, uh, there there will be sequels to Blood Mania. That much I can tell you. Now, given the format that it's an anthology, I think we can be shooting a number of short films at any given time, as well as whatever feature we go with, um, because investment really isn't a problem. It's not a matter of money uh, anymore. So, uh, whatever you know, happens,
2: whatever happens, we are at the mercy of this first project. Yes. And our dedication is to make certain that this first project has progeny which keep the dynasty going for years and years.
3: Well, the project has gone through so many, it, you know, uh, it's evolved over the last, well, it's been about a year, hasn't it, Herschel? It
2: has indeed. Very exciting so, year.
3: You know, so we've gone through various producers, a number of writers, uh, until we finally got to the point where we said, okay, this is doable now. We, we have what we want. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're doing well, I think. And I understand. And it keeps me awake at <laughs> night sometimes because the man already has a legacy. So I lay there late at night thinking, Jim, you can't fuck this up. You can't. You know, so uh, I'm motivated.
2: Well, the worst that happens, Jim, is that I sue you. Yeah. <laughs> no, That's not going to happen. We're
3: fine. With the crew we have, the acting talent, the scripts, of, and I really can't tell you much about them except... That they're four distinctly different uh, stories. And Mr. Lewis is our narrator, mm-hmm. uh, kind of in the Rod Serling Night Gallery.
0: Oh, amazing. Sort of.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. So, what we, what we decided was when we do this, we have to have, well, first of all, a good story.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Secondly, we have to have, of course, the splatter elements that <laughs> Herschel defines. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, we wanted kind of a little Twilight Zone twist. So we're very confident in the scripts that we have. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not at all concerned.
2: No, the audience will be off balance just enough to know they're supposed to cry here, laugh there, and say, oh, my God, over there.
3: And I think that's what separates us from, you know, quite a few of the projects is, yes, it's bloody. There is blood in this, in this movie. But we can assure them. It's stage blood. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's enough humor and enough, you know. It's, it, there's a lot of satire, yeah. and uh, with it, but you know also defines Herschel's films. So instead of it just being a gore fest, uh, you know, just trying to be over the top, maybe just it's still entertainment, and that's essentially, you know, we want we want the horror fans, we want the splatter fans. We want people who may not necessarily be horror fans to say, yeah, I was entertained. Mm-hmm. And if we've done that, then we've done our job.
2: Yes, because we have, not only will he, we have done our job, we'll have put ourselves in a position where this motion picture is successful enough to assure us that there will be another one. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you, that's how you keep score.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just talking um, now about this kind of Calgary dynasty, which, you know, I hope now will keep growing. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever heard? Maybe you weren't given it, but that you've heard it along your journey.
2: Well, I can tell you some examples of the best advice and the worst advice I've ever heard had, if that'll be of any benefit. <laughs> the, the worst advice I ever had was from a distributor who said in in typical distributor talk, ya gotta, now it's not you have to, it's ya gotta make a good movie, which is of no value whatever. The best advice I ever had was from somebody who had been, I, I can't even tell you who it was because my lips have been sealed on this, who had been in a movie that was, he felt, an artistic success and a uh, financial failure. And he said, if your eye is on an award, you are making the kind of mistake that will assure you of losing money. And I pondered that when he first said it because those outside our industry are at the mercy of things such as the Academy Award, which are heavily hyped. Or the Screen Directors Guild. Now, I was a member of Screen Directors Guild. I dropped out long ago because I felt that for my type of career, it made no sense at all. But in exposure to the kinds of warnings that came my way, I became convinced then, as I am convinced now, that what matters is not what your cohorts say. It's what those people out there say. We are at the mercy of what they want to see and hear, not what we want to give to them because they are not grateful for what we want to give to them. So my opinion is unchangeable that we must make the kind of motion picture one that reinforces our position in the industry. Anyone can make a a drawing room comedy, a stage play transformed into a motion picture. Not everyone can do what we're about to do mm-hmm. because the world of splatter films, we now call them, has expanded to a point where everybody's in it. There's been too much crosstalk among people on the periphery of our industry who say, Look how easy it is. You aim a camera and that's all you have to do. Uh uh-uh, uh, that's not the case at all. So, along with our ability, to shoot a scene that no one has shot before within this same framework, and that's not easy, is the capability of campaigning that picture so that those people out there understand what we have done and say, yes, I want to see it. Hmm. That, That to me is the ultimate litmus test. Not I've got an award, but yes, I want to see it. And I'm sitting here with a shelf full, of it's funny, lifetime achievement award. One thing I would never call any of my movies an achievement. (laughs) The achievement is I'm still here.
0: It's funny, I was I was just reading um, an article the other day, it was like a comedy article of this writer, this journalist, trying to rewatch Forrest Gump, and she just couldn't get through it because she just realized how ridiculous it was and how pandering it was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as we've already talked about, you know, there are p- still people discovering your movies and screening your movies and oh, yes. laughing and, you know, getting freaked out by them. So I think... Two
2: gen- yes, two generations later. Yeah. I'm, I'm being... Yelled at here. So I'm going to have to continue this. If you guys are available later today, I can do this. Well, no, right that I had have, I have to get moving.
0: That's actually, that was my last question. Um, actually, uh, is there anything else quickly that you're working on?
2: Well, I'm trying to get Jim interested in a script called Mr. Bruce and the Gore Machine. And maybe one of two. Uh, uh, Mark Twain wrote a story called The Prince and the Pauper. And the first line of that book has stayed in my brain ever since I was a student. It is. It may have happened. It may not have happened. <laughs> this either will come off, or it won't. And if it doesn't, we'll go elsewhere. But I do, I do think that oh, I'm going to have a good time. Good. That means that that becomes actually epidemic. Everybody has a good time. So I do have to run, but I did enjoy this conversation.
0: Yes, me too. Thank you so much for taking we'll talk the time. Talk to you later, Her. Okay,
2: it is indeed my pleasure.
0: <laughs> Take care.
1: took a gun and he made the Yankees run but he took a fatal bullet in the chest as he fell down dead old Stonewall said I'm a giving you a dying man's request I'm a giving you a dying man's request yeah oh, All the South's gonna run
0: You know, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a really exciting time for this to be happening, especially in Calgary, in, in Canada. I think mm-hmm. it's a really great thing.
3: Yeah, and uh, like what you even mentioned there, um, at the beginning of the film, Herschel sings one of his songs. <laughs> and done in his inimitable style. And we reprised the song in the end. We're using a band called um, Audio Psychotic. <laughs> A real rock version of the same song, which kind of symbolically shows Herschel's transition from the 20th century now into the 21st. So,
0: and what was the process like for you? Because um, it sounds like obviously Herschel's doing one story. He's written one, and then will direct two of the two of the um, stories. How did you get the other screenwriters on board? What was that kind of process like for you?
3: Well, um, it, wasn't, it really wasn't all that difficult. I wrote one. Okay. We put out a call. Um, one of the nice assets that we have going for us is uh, the Great American Pitch Fest. Mm-hmm. Bob Schultz and Sidney Olenek have the Pitch Fest, and we're given log lines uh, that we can develop into scripts. Not a problem at all. I happen to know a young fellow named Justin Sane, that's a pseudonym <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, who put out a great script and that'll be the one that herschel uh, the second one herschel is directing okay. and uh basically what we have is we have one that's quite gory and funny that herschel wrote uh co-wrote with bob schultz uh we have one that's Um, creepy. It's your kind of very creepy, dreadful story. Mm -hmm. We have one that's complete psychological horror where you're not sure what's happening until the very last frame. And then we have another one that's kind of an homage to the uh, titties and blood films of the 80s. Yeah.
0: So
3: I think we've pretty much got our bases covered that way, which is one of the reasons why we chose an anthology over a feature.
0: Yeah. Because it lets you um, show off a little bit more, just like the different aspects and things that are possible.
3: Right, and there's some very good story ideas out there Mm -hmm. that um, I call it the Saturday Night Live Syndrome, (laughs) where you can have a great idea that might work for 20 or 25 minutes. The story can be told, but if you flesh it out to 90, then you've got a problem. Um, And and as you were saying to Herschel about business, uh it just makes sense sometimes with an anthology, uh, because if somebody likes two or three of the episodes but may not particularly like one, they'll still download it. You know, <laughs> um, so from a business point, uh, you know, that's uh you know, that's that's to our advantage. And the other thing is I grew up on things like Vault of Horror, uh Tales from the Crypt that were all done by Amicus films, uh out of Britain. Um you know, kind of that competitor to Hammer in a way. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an homage to them as well.
0: And I've heard about Herschel working on another project um, called Zombificador. That's a separate entity, correct?
3: That's an entirely separate yeah. entity from our project. Uh, I believe there was a, a a fundraising campaign, a crowdfunding campaign, to try to get that film off the ground. I don't know where the stat, what the status is on it. Um, but it has absolutely nothing to do with us. I've had a few people ask. Yeah. I guess, you know, people have contributed to that crowdfunding campaign. are wondering, is this it? Well, I'm, I, I'm afraid to say, no, it's not, <laughs> not in any way, shape or form.
0: Yeah. Um, so what's, so you're going to be doing this film over the summer. You're doing blood mania. I guess that'll be in production for a few months. And then what are your next steps? What are the next films? Anything else that you're really excited about or want to do?
3: Well, I, I, it's funny because I, I, I went from having really no idea six weeks ago to having my plate full. The next project may be the adaptation of what has been called the most disturbing horror novel of all time. And it's been called, it's been called unfilmable. And when I hear that, all I think of is that's a challenge. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's one thing we're definitely considering. The, uh, the script is there. Um, I, yeah, I wish I could talk more about it at this point, but I can't. Um, another project is another anthology from kind of a different perspective, and I'm trying to option the rights to what I consider to be the most disturbing horror novel ever written. And I can't say much about that except the initials of the author are J.K.,
0: Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my God, I'm gonna have to get on Google now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if I if I could land that, I'd be a happy man.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, when I first read the novel, I think it was back in college, and I'm gonna date myself here, but uh, back in college, and it, uh, it was it, it, it was so visceral and disturbing. Uh, when I read, I tend to picture things in my mind, and I went, "Gee," and, and this is a true story. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'd love to see this filmed. And even then I thought, and the guy to direct it would be Herschel Gordon Lewis. <laughs> so, I mean, and we're talking 30 years ago. So, wow. yeah, um, if that happens, I, I, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's, you know, a number of projects. And um, you, this is not the last you'll see of... Uh, herschel gordon lewis anthologies I'll, I'll just say that in fact in the end credits it's going to be like bond herschel gordon lewis <laughs> will return so well, that's, that's exciting definite. and
0: it's it's nice to see him come back um just because he has he's got this really loyal following and people who always go back to it and kind of return and find him because his work was so important to developing so many things that were that are now really present and you know the kind of comedy that exists in in, in horror and a film that kind of knows its own limits and i think i'm personally really excited to see him come back and to see all these new projects because i feel like horror you know, there's always something to love in them. There's always one, a couple great films every year, but they've gotten so grim, and mm-hmm. I miss that kind of level. Le- I miss that levity, that uh, sense of fun, and that kind of childlike response to things. And and so I feel like he does that so well, and it just sounds like a really strong showcase for that.
3: Well, when when I first read the script that that he wrote, I, I was laughing out loud. <laughs> And it, to actually watch it come to life is going to be very interesting. Um, and even when we we look at it, you know, from a budgetary standpoint or whatever and go, well, this particular scene, I don't know if it's feasible, you know. So to sit with Herschel and to go through ideas and then rewrite it. And, and he's, he's, you know, he'll email me with how about this. And he has me laughing out loud again, and it's yeah. even funnier than what was there before. So, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting process, and I, and I feel very fortunate uh, as, as a fan of Herschel since I was 10 years old, Yeah, see, seeing uh, The Wizard of Gore mm-hmm. at a drive-in theater. Hmm. Uh, for me to be in the position I'm in today, it, it, it's, it's remarkable to me. Uh, I, I still pinch myself every once in a while just to see if it's actually real.
0: Well, and I have to ask, what is a Herschel Gordon Lewis script like? Because he's kind of poked fun at himself saying, you know, it, he doesn't put that much stake in it, really, because it's all about the blood and the guts and the experience. So what, what is that kind of page like to read?
3: It's fascinating because, A, um, he doesn't like to take it too seriously. And he doesn't want the audience to take it too seriously. You can have the most graphic depictions of violence but it should be done in a, I won't say campy way, but in such a way that the audience is aware that, you know, there, there's a certain unreality to it. You know, if you see somebody accidentally do something horrible to themselves, in, you know, and it's, it's, it's graphically gory, mm-hmm. and yet you're laughing at the same time, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's entertainment. And, uh, and he likes a lot of satire social there's a lot of social commentary in the script as well um you know regarding social media things like that little little aspects of that
0: Hmm. and that's it for another episode of the diabolique webcast we'd like to thank herschel and james for taking time out of their very busy schedules especially as they're heading into production to talk to us uh, I, for one, and hopefully you are too, very excited to see Blood Mania. It sounds like a hell of a movie. If you'd like to learn more about Blood Mania and follow the production, you can find them at bloodmania.ca. They're on Twitter, at bloodmania, and they also have an official Facebook page if you search that. If you'd like to uh, learn a bit more about Diabolique magazine, um, any back issues, anything like that, or just some good old horror news, you can go to diaboliquemagazine.com. This is Alex West, and thank you for staying scared.
1: Captain yeah, Stewart spurred his horse, and the Yankees ran, of course, but there wasn't any powder for his gun. So he said to his boys, Let's make a lot of noise, and we'll charge again and make them Yankees run. And we'll charge again and make them Yankees run. Yeah, Oh the South's gonna rise again. Yeah, Oh the South's gonna rise again.